Today I'm going to uh, depart from my usual practice of uh, taking a scripture passage and, and then expounding on it. Uh, while I don't have a central scriptural theme, I do believe what I say is very scriptural. Uh, and it concerns your next pastor. Now I'll be here this week and next week and then on the 12th, two weeks from today, uh, your new pastor will be standing here in the pulpit and will be taking, uh, taking the lead. In every church I have ever served, there were things that I wish uh, I could have communicated to the congregation that while I was pastor, I didn't feel comfortable saying. I hesitated because I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings, uh, because I didn't want to get into arguments. Uh, you know, when a pastor is committed to a congregation for, for far into the foreseeable future, I think he or she will always try to tread carefully in some areas. What I'm talking about is not theology or the interpretation of scripture. Most pastors see those as areas where they have to speak out even if people are offended. Same could be said for preaching about social issues. Among Baptists, one of our main tenets is, is the belief that there must be freedom of the pulpit. A pastor must be free to speak on issues he or she thinks are of spiritual importance. Well, what stops most of us pastors from, from sharing things are personal considerations. By that, I mean things that apply to the pastor directly. Sometimes there's fear to speak of these things because the pastor is afraid that uh, people will think that he is more interested in his or her own, own well-being than in the well-being of the church. Well, this morning I want to address some of those issues. And I need to say right up front that there are some of these things that this church really sets an example for others to follow. They do a good, you do a good job, and you can take bows for those things. But there are other things that the congregation really needs to be aware of as you're starting on a new journey with, uh, with your new pastor. And you'll have to individually decide about each of these and be responsible for what happens. Paul wrote to Timothy his his protege, that he should not let anyone despise his youth. Paul adds that Timothy is to be an example for the believers. It's hard to adapt to a person who is younger than you as a pastor. I know that uh, when Zach Bartle, our uh, pastor at Judson Memorial uh, in Lansing, uh, came to the church, I kept thinking he's just a kid. Every time I looked at him and I thought, you know, what, what a kid he is. And realized people had thought that of me when I was that age and, and this kind of thing. Your new pastor is going to be younger than most of you in the congregation. He's probably going to be younger than many of your children in the congregation. But you have to be careful that you don't think of him as a kid. And because of thinking of him as a kid, not listen uh, to him because you've been around longer. That's a real temptation. I remember when I was in Oklahoma, uh, uh, if the Kiowas in, in my churches wanted to uh, say something and didn't want me to know about it, uh, they would say it in Kiowa, uh, which worked pretty well since I didn't know Kiowa. But over time, what they didn't realize was that I could begin to pick up the tone of what was being said. And so if the tone was such that I was uh, concerned about it, I'd find a way to check out what it was. I remember one discussion where a couple of men from the church, one, uh, one elder in one church and an elder in the other church I was serving, anyway, they said something to one another, 
And uh, when I, it, it just sounded like I wasn't sure what. We'd been discussing something about the churches, and when I checked, the one had said something uh, to the effect of, he's not old enough to know what he's saying, just ignore him. Now, they could get away with saying that in front of me in Kiowa. At least they, they thought they could. And, uh, and that's the way sometimes it happens. We say things because we know we've been around longer. We're older. We've got uh, the knowledge. Well, aside from disrespect for the office of pastor, such comments are really a gossip. For some people, gossip about the pastor is assumed to go with the territory. Uh, I, I don't know how many times I've walked into meetings and heard people gossiping about me. Uh, I remember again in Bloomington that happened, uh, and that would be a particularly nasty group in the kitchen of, of uh, people saying all these things, most of which weren't true. And, uh, and, and when I walked in, they all of them just turned as red as could be because they knew they had been caught at it and that I had heard what it said. It's hard to keep genuine concerns and gossip separated, but it's important to do, excuse me, to do so. And one way is to be sure that everything that is said concerning the pastor is said openly. If you want to say something about the pastor, make sure it's something you could say when he was right there with you. Or someone says to you something about the pastor. Say, uh, yeah, oh good, why don't you tell me that the next time the pastor's here? And you'll find a lot of times people, well, I don't want to do that. He'll think bad of me or whatever. But that's undercutting the role of the pastor. Uh, if you hear some things that are being said, well, let's keep this confidential between us, uh, not including the pastor, then it's probably gossip. Gossip about the pastor or uh, the pastor's family is dangerous to the church. I believe the new pastor will be coming because he's been brought here by God. And if gossip goes on, and if the, the disrespect that comes with gossip, if there is that kind of disrespect for the leadership of the pastor, then the church is going to be in trouble because if the pastor is brought here by God and there's that disrespect, it's really disrespect for God. Related to this is the understanding of who the pastor is responsible to. I've heard some people say that the pastor works for the church, and that is not true. A pastor serves the church in his or her work for God. What the church does is provide the resources so the work can be done. It's like the people who supported Paul so he could do the work that he was doing. He talks about working himself in some places, but there were also a lot of other churches that were supporting him. And, and they were not thinking there were, he was working for them. They were working, supporting him so the work could be done. If the pastor doesn't work for the Lord, then the church is going nowhere. I think it's obvious that the, uh, in this that the pastor and the church ought to agree on a direction of ministry. Uh, a pastor cannot ignore what a church says, that's a given. But the pastor must be free to follow where he sees the Lord leading. And you need to listen to his leadership in that. And if it doesn't work, then you work together, sit down and talk about it together to come to some conclusions. Some churches tend to see a pastor as a, uh, um, a day laborer. Uh, that is, he's seen only as an employee, and that's a mistake. The pastor is a professional. He spent years in preparation for his position. It's not something that he just decided one day that he was going to start doing. There are things that go with being a professional. 
he'll need to continue his education and development. Now, if you tend to think that that's not true, let me ask you uh, if you would go to a doctor who hadn't followed the changes in medicine in the last 20 years. I wouldn't, and yet this is dealing with eternal things. Your pastor is dealing with much more important things than just life or death. And they need to continue working and be supported in continuing education each year. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to be watching, and if the pastor isn't doing continuing education and you're not hearing about what he's doing, check and find out why not. Let him know that you consider it's important, and if it's finances, then do something different, although uh, this church has been very uh, supportive in terms of continuing education so far, and this, but I just be watching for these things. There needs to be money for continuing education, and that doesn't mean just a, just a little bit. Uh, check out the cost of conferences. As an example, the clergy retreat of the American Baptist Churches of Michigan, it costs over $200 for two days. Now, keep in mind that it costs that, and it is heavily subsidized by the region and the minister's council. If it wasn't for that, the cost would probably be at least double in that. Uh, if it's training brought in by a seminary or an outside group that's doing two days of continuing education, the cost will be well over $300, could be four or $500, not including room and board. The clergy retreat, retreat uh, really includes both of those. I'd add if the conference is out of town, it's not helpful to expect the pastor to drive back and forth. I've been in situations where there was a conference and it was, uh, well, it wasn't terribly far, 50 miles, about just a little more than the distance to Lansing. This, but the problem was if I was driving back and forth, I lost so much of what I learned because I was exhausted and I couldn't keep it in mind and I had to be watching where I was driving. So that if, you're, if the pastor doing something, then make sure that they are able to really absorb what's there. I think another way that churches sell the pastor short, and actually it's selling the church short, is to assume that regional and national and associational meetings are a vacation. And I don't know how many times that's been said to me is, well, you're going to get vacation here, uh, and I'm going to a conference in wherever it is uh, that's a national conference. Uh, they are not vacations, and they do benefit the church. And expenses for these should be covered. Uh, not exactly in the same category, but just something I would encourage you to do, that if the wife attends with them to these conferences, try to pay part of her expense too, because sometimes that can limit whether or not uh, the pastor will go. Pastors need to be in regular contact with other clergy. In the American Baptist Churches of Michigan, we have a, a groups called the Ministerial Leadership Groups. And these are groups of pastors uh, who meet usually monthly uh, so they can be more effective in ministry. Your pastor will be invited to join one of these groups and the church would do well to support and, and encourage him to do so. Our national uh, ABC biennial convention called Mission Table has, has been poorly attended in recent years. And the major reason is that it's expensive. I mean, if you're bringing people from all over the country, it doesn't matter where you meet, it's going to be expensive for some people. And uh, this last year was in Portland, Oregon, and uh, we didn't, uh, didn't go to that. It's the first one we've missed for a while. 
those are important connection places, not only for learning things and for things that would directly help the church, but for coming to—excuse me—coming together with other pastors. When churches choose not to do that, they are cutting the cord between themselves and the denomination. Regional meetings are just as important and not nearly as expensive, and I think the pastor should be supported for that. The fall meeting of the American Baptist Churches of Michigan, I'll tell you right now, is October 24th, or I'm sorry, 27th, at the Falam Baptist Church in Battle Creek. It's one of our uh, Burmese churches. And that will be the Michigan Regional Meeting. Be sure your pastor attends, and if possible, uh, go with him. And uh, uh, I'll be there and look to see who shows up and who doesn't. And then I may send you a nasty email or something if you don't come. But but it's important in all seriousness. It, it's, it's something that needs to be done. Um, be sure that the pastor attends the clergy retreat that'll take place. That'll be usually April, although it can be sometimes March. Um, it, it is a continuing education event, but it's also the place where pastors connect with each other. And I think the things that I have learned that have been very helpful has often come from those informal connections. A pastor will say, well, here's something I'm doing in the church, and I think, hmm, that may work in a church where I'm at, and I'll take it and try it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's a way of learning and connecting things that wouldn't happen otherwise. I would add sort of as a side note on this that uh, it's really well established that pastors who use a Lone Ranger approach to ministry that is, they do everything on their own and, and don't worry about getting together with other clergy or, or continue education or anything like that. Uh, those are the ones who most commonly burn out, uh, become involved in ethical violations, or cause disruption in a church. It's just the reality. And if you see a pastor being a lone ranger, uh, encourage him to connect with the others. It's important. One more thing about... Uh, conventions, and, and it's about the semi-vacation that they are not. Remember that when a pastor goes to a convention, he's going to spend more time in convention-related business and networking with other pastors than is normally spent at the church. If a person, uh, when I go to the conventions, they're exhausting, and we joke about the fact that they're afraid we're going to have time off, not time to, uh, you know, where we don't have anything to do. And so things are planned back to back and, and from early morning until late in the evening. So it's not in any way a vacation. It should go without saying that you will not always agree with your pastor. Uh, I've never had anyone who agreed with everything I said. Disagreements can be an important part of moving the church forward. However, the disagreement needs to be open, focused on the issues, not on personalities. I suppose one of my pet peeves in, in uh, ministry, and, and I think I would speak for a lot of others that it's their pet peeve, is the expectation that the pastor be omniscient. I, I put down first omnipotent, realize it's the wrong word, that would mean all-powerful. Omniscient is all-knowing, and uh, they want the pastor to be as omniscient as God. And by that I mean it's sometimes expected that the pastor will know everything. Whatever's happening, whatever's going on. I've had people go to the hospital, expect a pastoral call, but don't do anything to see that I was notified. 
Now, in the past, hospitals used to ask, can we notify your pastor and this? They don't do that. And, well, some don't do it anymore. Most don't do it anymore. If you're going to be in the hospital or you've got a family member in the hospital or if there's anything else going on with you or your family, if you don't tell the pastor, assume he doesn't know. He's not omniscient. He won't know. I've been told to go someplace and, and the person in, in passing would say, well, yeah, I'll go here. Uh, and I had no idea where it was. Uh, one of them uh, that happened recently was actually for the um, uh, JAMA, the Jackson Area Ministerial Alliance. Their meeting uh, was held at, um, I can't even remember the name, is it Michigan Brewery down, down here? I had no idea where it was, what it was, or anything else. They just mentioned that, and, and luckily I, I could go on the internet and find out where it was and this, but sometimes things are said and it's less clear. If you're giving directions to a pastor, take time to look up an actual address. Because with a physical address, it's easier to plug it into a GPS or to a phone and get wherever it is that they're going. I wish I'd have had those years ago because it would have saved a lot of searching. The new pastor won't know who your family is, where they live, or anything else about them. And it's not unusual for that information to need to be repeated several times. The pastor won't know how certain things work. Now you'll know because you've been here many years and if there's a place that that I think that we need uh, to really look at it is the assumption about how things work because so many things were told to me and the assumption was that I would know that that's the way they worked and quite honestly I've never been in a church they worked that way and so I didn't know that until someone told me something about it. If things are uh, done a certain way for years uh, and then the pastor does something differently, uh, find out why. Ask, you know, uh, what, what is this about? And maybe, just maybe, that's the leadership that's coming from God to do something different. I've heard people say over and over that we need to change. And I've heard people say over and over, yes, I'm willing to change. And that's going to be harder than you think. You're going to have to be willing to look at things and say, well, maybe this new pastor has a reason for going the direction he's going. Well, the most difficult area that the pastor has to deal with is finances. And I don't know how your new pastor will approach this. Some are, are doing much better at it, but, but it's important for the church to protect the pastor's financial interest. It's common for pastors to sell themselves short because they think they're doing it for God, and churches will say, okay, yeah, go ahead and, and, and sell yourself short for God. And that's not good. It doesn't help. Over and over, I hear pastors say, this is the one thing that, that happens again and again, is they refuse a raise or some expense reimbursement because they knew the church was strapped. And that really isn't fair to the pastor or to the church, because the church doesn't know what it's really costing to do ministry. And the pastor is going to be uh, without. I remember one situation where a pastor was in his fourth year at a church and, and the church was having a real difficult year. And he suggested to the, the uh, budget committee that they not give him a raise, not even a cost of living raise, because they were struggling financially. It was easiest for him to say that rather than to say, well, where else are we, are we going to cut? And he said that if things were better next year, they could make it up then. And, and, and they all agreed and said, yeah, we appreciate that. And things were better the next year. 
but they only gave a cost of living raise for that year. And so that put the pastor behind a year, and it stayed that way as long as the pastor was there. If churches, by the way, give a cost of living raise uh, based on a whatever thing, a national cost of living change, or more importantly for this community, because some communities are different than what it is nationally, if you give a cost of living raise to your pastor at the end of the year, you haven't given him a raise. All you've done is kept him even. It's the same as it was before. And if you don't give a raise, a cost of living raise, then it's cut the salary. And churches, again, sometimes don't realize that. If the church thinks that the pastor's done a good job and wants to encourage the, uh, the pastor to keep doing a good job, and, and if it can be done at all, then the cost of living raise plus an additional amount is what will have to happen. If a cost of living raise isn't given, it's actually, as I said, a excuse me, a cut in salary. And salary uh, is what we use to judge uh, appreciation. It's what's used in our society. I, I think it's probably not the best thing, but it is used in our society to judge appreciation. If there's no increase in real salary, then the message is that the work is not appreciated. And yearly cost of living raises and nothing more sends the message we don't think you're doing a good job. Pastors tend to need not say what they need to say uh, when, it, when it comes to their own finances. It may be up to the church to, to look at that and question it. The pastor who is coming is a human being. And there's nothing that happens uh, when one becomes a pastor that gives him or her divine power. If you have a problem, think over your life of all the problems you have. If you have it, then in all probability, the pastor will have a similar problem. We are urged to support one another and forgive one another, and that applies to the pastor as well as to the rest of us. Pastor will need time alone, and that should go without saying. Yet I find many churches begrudge the time a pastor spends taking care of himself. How he uses that time is his business and no one else's. When I was in Oklahoma, I used some of my alone time to do target shooting. In Bloomington, Indiana, I used some of my alone time to study judo. Now I use uh, some of my alone time to paint or write or train with my dog or, or just read non-work-related stuff. Your pastor will find the best way for him to use the alone time. He will also need to have time to be alone with his, his wife and his daughter. I know of very few pastors who don't regret letting the church demand squeeze his wife and children out of the picture or at least into the background. It's part of the nature of the job that that happens. And the church can help prevent that from happening. Let me add that, um, that, excuse me. Let me add here that how you relate to his, his wife and daughter is also important. Uh, do your best to treat his daughter as you would treat any other child and don't expect a different standard of behavior. And that's hard because it's harder for a uh, a child who's the uh, child of the pastor to see the church is important and that's because her dad works here that means she'll be coming in and out at, at different times uh, and the dad will be here all the time it becomes almost a second home and so they begin to act different than if it was a church and I think that needs to be understood and, and, and people need to be aware of it 
Some churches uh, see hiring a pastor as hiring a ministry team. Uh, they feel like, well, we'll get the wife to do all of this work too. Uh, there were churches who uh, I interviewed with that didn't call me as to be their pastor because very early in my ministry, I began to defend my wife's space and let churches know they were only calling me, not both of us. And I'm convinced there's some of them said, well, if we can't do that, then we don't want it. And they would ask her questions. And uh, one of the times was because she didn't play the piano, I'm convinced, because they were doing great and ask if you played the piano. And that's a whole long story I won't go into, but, but uh, that was the end of it. I don't know what the pastor's wife's interests will be. They may be related to the church or they may be separate from the church. Unless you want to pay her as another employee, not by reducing the pastor's salary, by the way, but to pay her as another employee, then respect her interests. A pastor has, needs to have his space respected. It's sometimes hard to understand what it means to respect a pastor's space. Sometimes there is the assumption that anything that is the pastor's is somehow fair uh, game for the church to take claim. In worst case scenarios, even his home is considered church grounds and, and uh, people will assume that they can say, well, we're gonna have a meeting, why don't we meet in the pastor's house? Uh, and, and that may be all right with the pastor, but it needs to be sure that it's the pastor's idea, not someone else's. Thank goodness churches have moved away from a parsonage. Uh, parsonages were, were a great thing in one sense and they were a terrible thing in another sense. I, I remember a friend of mine saying at one time in, in a way that I understood for the first time about a parsonage is that for whatever number of years the pastor is there, he has to report the parsonage's income. Okay, So it's considered part of his salary. But when he leaves, it all goes back to the church. So for whatever part of that salary was considered, he's donating it back to the church at the time he leaves. And the church tends to want to control things when they're in the parsonage. That's not a problem here. I'm just thankful that it's not. And if anyone encourages it, uh, don't do it. Um, <clears throat> the pastor's study is also something that needs to be respected. In some churches, it's assumed that if something needs to be dumped somewhere, the pastor's study is fair game. Uh, I consider the pastor's study or office as sacred space. I can invite anyone in, but it isn't acceptable for someone just to make use of it as they would another room in the church, and that's what happens. People will say, well, we need a place to meet. Well, we'll meet in the pastor's study without realizing that they're entering a sacred space to do that. There are things that are important that churches don't always pay attention to. Things like uh, Christmas gifts, perhaps uh, a birthday gift. Uh, these are important. Remember that, that you have family to celebrate these things with. Most of you have, have somebody that lives at least partway uh, near to where you are. And, and, but more than likely, the pastor, as well as his wife, have left their parents, their brothers, their sisters, their cousins. They've left all of those behind. And if the church doesn't take the lead in seeing that these things are celebrated, they may be missed sometimes out of embarrassment, sometimes not. Uh, it's just important to do. Another thing to celebrate is the anniversary of ordination. Uh, two years ago, the church in Hoosick Falls, New York, celebrated the, uh, my 45th anniversary uh, of ordination. It was the first church to ever do that. 
none of the other churches had done it, although I knew a lot of churches that did. And I can't tell you how much that experience lifted me up. It gave me encouragement. Uh, not enough to stay longer, but it did give me a lot of encouragement in, in doing what I was doing. Look for those kind of things. Look for places where things can be celebrated. There are un undoubtedly other things that a pastor would wish you to know. Uh, they may even be more important than what I've stated. So you're going to have to be attentive and, and, and to ask questions of the pastor. How do you feel about this? Or is this something that we need to pay attention to? I know of a few privileges that are more meaningful than being the pastor of a church. In the end, I, I would say I have never regretted serving in a church which I pastored. It includes tr tr uh, transitional pastors as well as settled pastors. However, there have been places where I was hurt, and I was hurt deeply. And I could forgive whatever it was, but you know, that doesn't take the hurt away. So the goal is to avoid the hurt in the first place. I've had a chance to visit with your pastor. He came in after he had preached here the next day, and we visited. I lost track of time, an hour and a half, two hours, something like that, about a lot of different things. And I think that you have got a very good person coming as pastor. Um, I would have, I'm surprised at the quality of person that he is and that he's coming, quite honestly. And I think that that's a good reflection on everything the search committee did. Um, they put in a lot of work to get there, and it's an indication of God working in all of this. I pray that in the coming years, your relationship with him will grow strong and that you never hurt each other. And if hurts do occur, I pray that you and he will make amends as quickly as possible. These are some of the things that the pastor probably will never be able to say to you. So think about them, remember them. With as many people as are not here this morning, uh, say something to them. Uh, keep them in mind because you're the ones that have heard them. I would say also, uh, the first Sunday, the 12th, is when he's going to be here. I'd really encourage you to encourage as many people as possible to be here. There is nothing that, that hurts a pastor more. And I feel it myself uh, when I look out and see a very small crowd. It somehow cuts deep, and you want to be aware of that. When they do the uh, installation, again, making sure as many people as possible can be there. A lot of things to do. I think that's enough. That's a lot that I've dumped. And uh, I hope that it's helpful to you and to your pastor. Join with me in prayer. My God, you who called me to ministry and the people of this congregation to community, bless them today. Lord, a new and glorious day is beginning. Nothing can hold that back except those who are called your servants. Those who call you Lord, they can hold it back. Give them tender hearts as they work with the coming pastor. Grant that the whole community might take notice of the relationship between the pastor and the church and, and, and that the community as a whole would wish that they could have the same relationship with their pastor or their spiritual leader. God, the church is the body of Christ and we are only a part of it. We each have spiritual gifts that can be used for you. May we use them with joy. I ask all of this in the spirit of Jesus the Master. Amen.